following presentation is part of a six-week class titled Introduction to Mindfulness. The class is offered at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome back, everyone. Take a little time and review what we've learned so far. So what's really useful is, especially in the beginning, there's a lot of sophistication and elaboration of the teachings having to, having to do with mindfulness practice and more generally living a life that about awakening. But it's often best to keep things really simple. So what we're interested in is what happens in our lives, what happens in the experience when we're emphasizing this capacity of the mind to be clear. And so part of what we're doing in all kinds of different ways, we're getting to know this capacity of the mind to be clear. And the image that's used is a mirror and how a mirror can effortlessly and beautifully reflect what's in front of it. And it can do that all day long and it doesn't get tired. So this is an image for this part of the mind that knows or that is aware. Initially, when we get interested in something like mindfulness, we think, oh, I need to be aware. I need to be mindful of what's happening. I need to be mindful of what, how it feels to be in the body. I need to be mindful of the different qualities in my mind. And to some degree, that's unavoidable. But it's not exactly right. It's more about noticing that this awareness is already happening. Like already the mind is aware of the sound of my voice. Do you really need to personally make an effort to hear the sound of my voice? It's more, the effort is more about remembering that the sound of my voice is being heard or remembering that the sensations of the body are being felt or remembering that the qualities of the mind are being known. It's an effortless knowing. That's what we're attempting to realize or awaken to. So there's this quality of clarity or alertness or brightness, interest, that we're interested in all day long. So not just when you're doing your formal sitting, but all day long, it's as if we're reflecting about this quality of the mind that knows and that, it, that knows effortlessly that simply reflects what's being known. And then the other quality we're emphasizing here, another natural quality of mind, is this part of the mind or quality of the mind that lets go or lets things be. That doesn't need things to be different than the way that they are. And again, we could make this a huge self-centered project. I have to be content with the way things are. I'm not content, but I should be content. And it just it becomes a huge project. And then we <clears throat> can judge ourselves. I'm not as content as this other person. Or I'll be content when... But like, you know, even in this moment, 
you know, it's more of a reflection, not like I should be content, I should be able to allow things to be, that we're sort of an experimentation or a reflection that can, like for example, just the way the body is now for each of us, can this be okay? So that's not like this should be okay, but we're looking, can the sensations as they are actually manifesting in the body, can this be okay? In the sense of, the, can the mind just leave them alone? So we're aware that that natural clarity, knowing the body in this case, and then the question is, can the mind just leave that alone? Or maybe you're aware of sound, or can the mind leave that alone? Or maybe you're aware of the mind thinking, you're worrying or planning or something, well, can that be okay? Can the mind just leave that alone? And when we leave things alone, it's not as if it's going to last forever. Has anything ever lasted forever? Things come and go. So when we allow things to be, when we relax with things, we're not saying that I'm screwed because it's always going to be this way. But we're just allowing it to take its natural course. It's here for a while, and then it will change. The body feels this way right now, but it won't feel this way in a few moments. It will feel some other way. There are these thoughts or these emotions in the mind right now, that after a few minutes or a few seconds, the mind will be different. The body will be different. Everything is in flux. So part of the second quality that we're developing, we're recognizing, and we're developing developing it by recognizing it. We're not actually creating something, like creating this ability to let things be. We're uncovering it. It's already possible. It's already uh, available for us to let things be. We let a lot of things be. And generally, the only things we don't let be are the things we're paying attention to. They we struggle with. But everything else we're not really paying attention to in that moment we let be. We can let our relationship with, let's say, our partner or a good friend, we can let it be, let it be, let it be, and then the person comes to mind, and then we can struggle with it for you know, most of the next two hours, thinking about how we can make it better, or what's wrong with that person, and how she needs to fix herself, or they need to fix themselves. <laughs> but uh, instead, we can just see it and know that it will go away on its own. That's just a thought, just a judgment, just a comparison, just a reaction. So it's just really these two qualities and all of the formal meditative techniques, you can just see in this light, in the light of these two qualities of getting really interested in this capacity for the mind to be clear, awake, interested, seeing things as they are, and developing our interest, reflecting on the capacity of the mind or the heart to let go, to let things be, to relax, to trust, to trust the natural arising and passing away of phenomena. Instead of inserting a self, me, who is in control or wants to be in control of what is arising and what is passing away, which is normally our approach to life, we want to be in charge. But we're not in charge of our thoughts, or emotions, or sensations, they come and go due to all kinds of causes. And we can live with that, you know, like that willingness to let life co-author life, you know, instead of imagining that there is somebody 
who has to be in control of everything. And that takes endless work to patch up that delusion, really, that there is somebody who's making this all happen. Sometimes in some of my talks, I say, just as an experiment, you know, you can do this tomorrow. Wake up, and you wake up, then remind yourself, okay, today, I'm just going to experiment. Instead of thinking, I have to get myself through the day. i got to get up out of bed. I personally have to get myself out of bed. I personally have to take care of my business in the bathroom. i got to decide what I'm going to wear and then do that. i got to fix my hair. i got to feed the body. i got to get myself wherever I'm going. You know, it, it could be this monumental burden to get through the day. When it takes, when every single action seems like there is somebody who has to do it. So tomorrow when you get up, and then as often as you can remember for the rest of your life, just have the thought, like reflections on, well, this will be interesting. Let's just see, let's just allow life to live life, you know, to live its life. Allow nature, the nature of the body and the mind, the nature of the personality, which is just the momentum of all these different forces, you know, conditioned forces in the mind, these conditioned habits in the mind, which is going to allow us to move forward, which is, it's going to do that anyway. Like, can you stop your life from moving forward? There's no way to stop things from just unfolding. So why do we think we have to do it? If we can't stop it, why do we think we have to do it? You see? Like, just right now, stop doing everything. You know, stop thinking, stop we can't stop it. Nature just does one thing, it moves forward. And the human mind body is as much nature as anything is nature, right? We're all part of this interdependent flow of conditions. So just have that attitude, experiment with that attitude. Don't think about it. Just experiment like, is that is that an accurate, useful description of what's happening now? And just notice how much more freedom there is in this. And then, then use this in your formal meditation practice. So instead of thinking, I have to watch the breath come in, now I have to watch the breath go out. I mean, guaranteed in about three breaths, you're going to be bored stiff and desperately thinking of something to think about to distract yourself. But just notice, like, uh, in a more relaxed way that knowing is already happening. The mind is already knowing. What is the mind knowing? What is the mind aware of now? What is the mind doing now? Well, now the mind's knowing the breath coming in. Now the mind's knowing the breath going out. Now the mind's thinking about what I'm going to do, what I'm doing on Wednesday. Now the mind's judging itself for being distracted. Now the mind's aware of the breath coming in. Now the mind feels pain in the knee. Now the mind is worried that sitting cross legs isn't good for me. Now the mind is knowing. So that's called continuity of mindfulness. And it really changes our life. It's really the continuity of these two qualities, the clarity and the relaxation, the letting things be. It sounds a lot like non-involvement, but non-involvement or letting things be isn't the same as not doing anything because that's just not possible. Sitting on the couch is doing something in the same way that driving over to Kamran Meditation Center for a class is doing something. So there's no way to not do anything in life. 
you know, it's just a figure of speech. I didn't do anything last night. Well, yeah, you did. <laughs> you know? So we just need to get rid of that idea. It's not really possible to be passive. You know, retreating because of fear is a forward action as much as going out and hitting somebody. There's not any way to avoid living life forward. It's just going to keep happening. As long as the body and mind is here, life just keeps moving. So we want to let that be. So instead of trying to do our life right, we're deciding to learn from life by paying attention. And we can't be controlling things and pay attention at the same time. Because the controlling, the fear with the controlling, the desiring with the controlling, it gets in the way of the clarity. So if we really want to strengthen that clarity and learn from life, learn from our experience, we have to let things be, and then we really see deeply whether our actions are skillful or unskillful, and that seeing changes who we are, what we're going to do next. So it's not like we're giving up. You know, I'm a bad person, I act unskillfully a lot of the time, but my meditation teacher said just let things be. But the meditation teacher is also saying, and be very awake, be aware. Notice that natural capacity, you have to see clearly how it is. Because then if you are in fact unskillful, you're going to see that in all its living color. How these actions, these attitudes in the mind, lead to suffering for yourself and others. And it will change who you are. But not change who you are because you hate yourself for being bad, but rather because you see clearly the way that it is. You basically, we're basically learning from cause and effect. When I'm greedy, when I'm caught up in some self-centered drama, I act and think in ways that add more tension and cause more suffering for myself and others. Always. <laughs> and when, when my attitude, when my way of being is not caught up in self-centered drama, more open, more loving, more clear, then I tend to think and act and live in ways that lead to the release of the heart and tend not to create problems for myself and others. You know, we just start seeing that over and over and over in all the little interactions we have, or even more specifically in meditation practice. I mean, just observe. In a few minutes we'll do our sit. Just observe, like when your mind goes off and does what you think it shouldn't do, you know, like complaining about somebody in your life, wanting them dead, you know. <laughs> we do that sometimes. We actually wish somebody would get really sick or something and not have to come back to work because that would solve so many of our problems. We don't necessarily own that we think that way, but we do sometimes, and each of us in our own way, you know, just want that person to be gone. We don't care how nature does it. We just want it done. We just want the job done. It's like that's evidently how those evil people with a lot of power, you know, they never say, go kill this person. They just say, it would be really good if this person wasn't a problem anymore. And then the henchmen, you know, they go out and do it. Well, that's how we do it in our mind. It's like we want people out of our heart, out of our lives. But we don't realize what that means. You know, what that means in our own mind body, let alone what that leads to in terms of our actions. So if we see it clearly, we see the consequence of that fear, that hatred, that reactivity, that craving. We see what it does directly in the mind. It's just like, 
you know, if we clearly saw what smoking two packs a day for 20 years would do, probably we wouldn't do it, or drinking heavily, or, you know, any sort of bad habit. And this is what mindfulness does. When we emphasize that clarity and the non-judgment and letting things be, we just see very clearly the effect of aversion on the mind and heart, and greed on the mind and heart, and denial and distraction on the mind and heart. We see how it's all of those, what in Buddhism we call the, the three basic defilements of the mind, aversion, craving, and delusion. Delusion just means uh, willfully taking up misperception or denial, like willfully not seeing things as they actually are, preferring ignorance. So we just see how these three patterns, which you know we all have to a large degree, cut us off from life so we start feeling dead, literally. The Buddha says this in one of his most famous passages. You know, it says, mindfulness is the path to freedom. And uh, negligence, you're as, as if already dead. You know, if you're neglecting being present, clear, and allowing things to be, you are as if already dead. And you'll notice that, like when you're really caught up in something, later when you come out of it, you will feel like you've been dead for a while, like lost, disconnected. And you'll feel the effects of it. Often, like if we've been deadened by, let's say we've been watching a really stupid program on TV or, you know, fantasizing in a really unproductive way, and then you come out of it, sometimes the pain is so powerful that we jump right back into another distraction because we just don't want to feel what it feels like. Do you notice that, like, the show's over, the video's over, and there you are, <laughs> feeling what you feel. And it's like, no wonder we want to find another video to watch, because we don't want to feel what we feel. And, you know, even we don't even want to go to bed feeling what we feel. We want to be absorbed in a movie or a book until we're unconscious. So we don't have any of those seconds where we might actually feel what we feel. So imagine, you know, thinking, you know, if somebody would say to us when we're teens, you know, and preparing us for life, would say to us, okay, your best strategy is to find, you know, a couple handfuls of distractions and just be very skillful that when one is wearing out, you've got another one right on hand, so you never actually have to be aware of what it feels like to be a human being. You just absorb into this, and when that relationship falls apart, you've got another one ready to go, or, you know, whatever it is that kind of keeps our mind occupied. So it's just some background for our practice. And this week, we emphasize, especially week four, we emphasize what is it that interrupts the continuity of mindfulness? And can we be aware of that? So, like, if you're using one of the anchors, like the breath, or the, just the general sensations experience of sitting, even just the sort of the feeling of the shape of the body, the uprightness of the body, as your main anchor, the place to keep bringing the attention back to. Or some of you are probably using hearing, so you're just opening to the experience of hearing, not trying to figure out the sound, but just receiving the sound. So there you are, breathing, feeling body, hearing whatever you're using as your anchor, and then 
the mind gets lost in thought, for example. That's a common thing, right? Or reacts to pain in the body. So there's pain, and then the mind hates it, or wonders about it, or thinks about it. So the key now is, as we're becoming advanced practitioners, week four now, so the key now is to see if when the mind loses mindfulness, can it immediately get interested in whatever the mind is doing, and let that be the object of awareness. So instead of immediately thinking you've got to come back to your anchor, the breath, the body, hearing, take a few moments or even longer if the mind stays balanced and be interested in what the mind is doing. What is the mind knowing now? What is the mind aware of? Can this be okay? Right? Can I be clearly aware of the distracted mind? Now it's not a distraction anymore, is it? Now there's an awareness. Being aware of anger is not the same thing as being angry. When we're angry, in a sense, the sense of self is absorbed into the anger. I'm angry. In the next moment, when we realize, oh, what's the mind doing? Oh, there's anger. Anger is being known. But it's a different experience. Anger is being known. Can this be okay? So we're, we're just activating those two qualities. Clarity, anger is being known. Right? That's that mirror. What is the mind? Can the mind know what the mind is doing? Can the mind know what the mind is knowing? And that's really the definition of mindfulness. It's the mind that knows what the mind is knowing, or the mind that knows what the mind is doing. That's what makes it mindfulness, as opposed to normal consciousness. It's like we can be conscious and know when to turn right and when to turn left, but it doesn't mean we're aware that we're turning right or turning left. We can drive home and not be aware of it, right? Not be able to recall any of it, because we were lost in thought the whole time. But we still saw the oncoming traffic, we avoided it, so there was consciousness, but no mindfulness, no awareness that, you know, oh, there is a car, it's green, it's being known, here and now. None of that. So in this tip tonight, in particular, be aware of the interruption and make sure you're not considering them to be a problem. Distraction isn't a problem. It's just another thing to be aware of, just to know what the mind is knowing, what the mind is doing. Oh. Now this is happening, this is what's being known. Well, can this be okay? So we relax with that. Can this be okay? And then see what happens. And then if that particular distraction sort of evaporates or falls away, as things tend to do, imagine if every distraction we've ever had in our life didn't go away. Of course they go away. Just think about how many times we've been distracted and all of those distractions have gone away. So then have that confidence that this distraction will also go away. And you'll see that it's the identification with the distraction that feeds it. But when the mind is open and clear, but not identified, not taking it personally, but just letting it be, then it tends to go away very quickly. And you can just get interested. How long will this distraction stay here if the mind isn't identified with it, isn't reacting to it, isn't afraid of it? You see, it doesn't stay very long. If it stays, somehow the mind is involved with it. It's caught by it. And you can go. You can even ask yourself. I mean, it's really okay to ask questions if, as long as the question, the thinking, is directing the attention to what's happening in the present moment. That kind of thinking is quite useful. So like, uh, what, is, what is the mind not seeing? What is happening but not being known? 
How is the mind caught? Is the mind attached, identified in any way now? Is the mind afraid of something? Does the mind want something? So that those kind of questions can help illuminate what's actually happening in the moment, but it's so commonplace that we're not noticing it yet. So you can ask questions like that. And it's just coming out of an authentic interest in the way it is now, because that's the heart of the practice. We're just interested in the way that it is. If we're going to live this life, let's live it aware of how it is, instead of dependent on distraction and disconnect patterns of disconnection. Any questions about that before we do our fifth tonight? Okay, so feel free to stretch your legs out to be comfortable. We'll sit for about 30 minutes tonight. It's okay to stand for a minute or so if you want. Release as much of the tension in your body as you can. And then when you decide to sit back down, really think about how you can support your body in the best way. Whether it's better for you to be in a chair or on the floor. Remember, it's very useful to cultivate a stability in the posture. The more stable the base of the posture, whether you're in a chair on the floor, the more the body will feel safe. If you need to use a lot of muscular tension to support your posture, the body won't feel that safe. So see what you can do. And then take a couple of slow, easy, deep breaths in and out. Take your time. And this deep breathing practice at the beginning of the sit, it's really a way of saying yes to the body, yes to the mind, yes to the way that it is now. And you can even repeat a phrase as you do one or two more of these deep breaths. This is how it is now. Can this be okay?
in continuing with mindfulness of hearing for at least a minute or two and clarify these two qualities I've been talking about. This capacity for the mind to be clearly aware and the capacity of the mind to allow things to be, to let go. Can the mind be clearly aware of the sounds, the ordinary experience of hearing? Or can the mind let this be? Not needing to add or subtract from the experience of hearing. Hearing is being known. And the experience of the body, the experience of sitting, this is also being known. This is practice receiving knowing the experience of sitting, knowing the predominant sensations of the body now. So just ask, see, can the mind, will the mind let this be? Allow the body to be the way that it is now, even if it's unpleasant in different ways. Can this be okay? might want a more refined anchor. So you can notice the natural movement of the breath in the body. For example, feeling the simple experience of the air touching as it goes into the nostrils and then touching as it goes out. Or feeling the abdominal wall expanding out with the in-breath, contracting in with the out-breath. continuity of this alert and relaxed 
awareness. We're going to begin again and again. Becoming really interested in what interrupts the continuity. Don't see it as a problem. See it as a good teacher. Something to be interested in. <coughs> so let's continue for a while in silence.
what is the mind knowing now? interested in the continuity of mindfulness. It's not about using tension to maintain the continuity. The cause for the continuity is a pure interest in the way things are.
speaking is simple, knowing, and letting things be. struggling and you're confused what's happening, <coughs> you can even ask the question in your mind, what? What is it that's happening? What is it that's being known? And then you might even want to name it. Oh, not liking is happening. Not liking is being known. And not liking is like this. Can this be okay? So naming the disturbance can help the mind become clear that it is this way now. This is something being known. It's like this. When we name a distraction, it can help bring a sense of wise space in the mind, spaciousness that helps the mind to relax and be patient be interested, and to trust that things will come and go on their own. So experiment with that simple noting or naming, see how it can be useful at times.
So we're interested in that. And then, then it's gone, you know, that no judging now. So now what's being now? So you're not even necessarily redirecting the attention back to the uh, press, but you just find out, oh, nothing's being now. Well, nothing? Well, there's knowing, you know, so, oh, knowing's being now. Right? But no particular object, but just that the mind is awake. Oh, well, what should I do? Well, I can come back to the breath. So then, see, and that's a very organic way. We're not neurotically coming back, oh, i got to be with the anchor. So that's why I, I sort of, in terms of um, intro class, just aim here. But once people have been working with the practice for a while, then I encourage them to do both, like for periods of time, maybe a year, to do some practice that's really with one particular object and develop more concentration. For other periods of time, really let go of the anchor, let go of the singular object of meditation and, and work with open attention practice. There are just different advantages and disadvantages to that. Um, yeah, but that's a good question. I think it's probably useful for a lot of people. Other things that have come to mind in your practice? Yeah, say your name? My name is Zach. Zach. Um, I know that I'm trying to just go away from just focusing on the anger and start to think, oh, my mind is wandering. I don't need to get away from that. But I was thinking of things like first it would be very concrete things like thinking of work and then Mr. Peanut. And eventually <laughs> <laughs> I was going through the things so fast in my mind that I was trying to name them and name them and name them. And I got to a point where I thought, oh, what's happening is my mind is wandering. Not I think Because that's actually what you saw, you know, that's a, an insight that it's not about the object, what's really happening, what's really relevant in terms of what, you know, what needs to be known, is that the mind is looking for something, you know, it's looking for something interesting, or it doesn't want to settle, so it's a restlessness. So that's the thing is, sometimes what you really want to pick up on is, the restlessness of the mind, because that's really what's happening, or the aversion. It's not even what the mind is averse to, it's averse to everything, and it's like looking for objects to be averse to. So it isn't so much about the particular pain in the knee that the mind is averse to, it's just averse to everything, and it will jump from one thing to another. So then what's really happening with the mind, what we want to know is that the mind is knowing aversion. Oh, aversion's like this. Not that the mind is averse to X or to Y, but that there's aversion there. Not liking is happening. That's really what's happening. And this is a good list to memorize, and I think it's in the uh, uh, handout tonight. And by the way, week six is on the back side, so there won't be a handout for week six. You're getting it tonight. So uh, the five hindrances. So when you're having a hard time getting some continuity, then just ask yourself, again, not necessarily literally, but you might sometimes actually literally say in your mind, well, what's happening? Or are any of the hindrances present? And then memorize the list so then you actually know what to look for. Is there any craving going on? Is there any aversion going on? So these are two things that go in a pair, right? They're really the same. It, you know, that reactivity of aversion and craving is really the same. 
just that craving, it's like, I want this, not this. And aversion is, I don't want this, I want something else. But the emphasis is on not wanting this, but I want something else. And craving is, I want that, so the emphasis is on what we want, but it's also aversion, like, I don't want this, I want that. So you see, it's really the same thing. But it's just a matter of what the focus of the mind is on what we want or what we don't want. So we have aversion and craving. And then another pair, too much energy, restlessness, too little energy, dullness, the sleepiness, right? So we look for these five hindrances. The fifth is doubt. And this is a, you know, a lot of doubt is actually quite healthy. But the kind of doubt that keeps the mind from really connecting with what's going on, so it actually can have a better sense of what to do next or how to be. But when we're just worrying or doubting, we're, we're just going in circles. And then we're not learning anything, so the doubt never gets clarified. So that kind of doubting we call a hindrance, like the other four. Craving, aversion, too much, too little energy, dullness and restlessness, and doubt. So it's a nice list to memorize, so that when you're struggling, you know, there in the middle of the set, 15 minutes, what am I going to do? You say, well, what's the problem? What's arising? What's coloring the mind? You know, you can just, if you want, just check through. Is, is there any doubt going on? Well, yeah, doubt. Or is there any restlessness or dullness? Too much, too little energy? Does mind really want something? Does really want to get rid of something? So you're just looking. And then when you find, like if you do find that one of those hindrances is present, then welcome that like, oh, good. Because now I'm mindful, I'm aware, I'm knowing this hindrance. And it's like this. And then you get the fact, well, can this be okay? So instead of thinking, I want to know the hindrance to get rid of it, no, we're going to know the hindrance, and it will go away on its own. So that's basically what we're there patiently knowing. Everything comes and goes. This judging mind, this critical mind, this craving mind, this lustful mind, this restless mind, this sleepy mind, this doubting mind. It's like this now. And eventually it will be something else. So let's see. Can I be so relaxed and interested that I'm really there when it becomes something else, when it goes away and something else happens? And we let, when it's strong and predominant, then we'll let that be the anchor for a while. We won't come back to the breath or come back to the body or come back to hearing unless we're really struggling with the hindrance, we're hating it. Then it doesn't, we don't want to practice hating something or practice judging ourselves for having a judging mind, for example. We just come back to something neutral, like the breath or the body. So you can come back to your anchor when you're flailing with the distractions or with the hindrances and you're getting trucked away into patterns of reactivity. And you've tried several times, but you keep getting trucked away, you keep the mind keeps getting caught up. Then that's the time to intentionally come back to the breath, to the body, to something neutral that the mind can be present with without greed, aversion, or delusion. We can be practicing those two qualities of clarity and letting things be, relaxation. Because then we're back practicing for a while until the next storm rolls in. Other questions? Did you have a comment or question? Yeah, Dan. Yeah. Um, I'm rolling along and I'm sitting here and I'm 
And then, you know, you might need to move a few times initially. You know, I certainly do. Um, but it's good to experiment with the intention not to move. And then, like you said, Dan, let that impulse to move arise several times. They really work with it. And then finally you realize, you know, I can't really work with this skillful anymore. I'm just using willpower to, to kind of leave the saliva alone. And that, I don't need, uh, this isn't about cultivating tolerance for pain. It isn't about even cultivating willpower, which may be useful, but that's not what this practice is about. It's a, pra it's a practice of seeing things clearly and realizing that the heart can just, in a relaxed way, let things be. So when we can't do that anymore because we're really caught in an aversive cycle, that's the time to swallow the saliva or make a, a more major adjustment to the body or whatever we need to do. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's just a play with it. Okay. Um, Uh, 
and I, and I always know it, but it always waits to the moment when I'm not knowing it. Anymore. And there it is. And, you know, and then, of course, I'll, I'll be mindful in the next moment, and I just feel the electricity, you know, just the, the, that sort of fear response. And so just notice that, like, just feel the energy, the adrenaline, just moving through the whole system, body and mind, and just be real, uh, calmly aware, clear and relaxed, with that experience of being shocked, without adding, without the mind adding to it, and then if the mind does add to it, like why does it, why does he come when he's got a cough, you know, or something like that? Just start to say, oh, that's that judgment, judging us like that. And then once once things have stabilized and there's nothing strongly predominant, then come back to your anchor, so that you're not rushing to the anchor to control things. But you just let the awareness, the wisdom, see everything until everything gets back to balance, composure. And then from that place of composure, then you let the awareness. So we'll naturally want to come back because the more you work with your anchor, it's going to become your best friend. And then you can come back to it during the busy day, come back to your breath, come back to the body, come back to hearing. So that's why that's another reason to cultivate a relationship with an anchor. Is it's very useful your mind will learn how to very quickly come back to balance when it's with that good friend. It's just that it's just like you know when you have a really healthy friendship, then when you're with that person, it's very easy to be healthy because you have a lot of history of being really healthy together, like listening to each other, respecting each other, taking turns, sharing. So it just comes, you know, like you just come back to that nice place when you're with that person. If you have a really bad relationship with someone, you know, you, the tendency is to have that bad, those bad habits re-arise when you're with them. So with this particular object, what we call the anchor, we're cultivating on purpose a really healthy relationship where the mind knows how to be clearly aware, knows how to be intimate with it, and continuous, that intimacy continues moment by moment without trying to get anything from it. It's just aware and present for its own sake. That's that letting go, or that relaxation. That's a really healthy relationship to have at the present moment. So any time of the day, we can come back to the object, the anchor, and the mind restores its balance, because it's vividly present and relaxed. And then we can leave behind the anchor and go do whatever we have to do next, but with that balance, that, that mind is willing to be present and relaxed is what comes next. Other thoughts come to mind. Yeah, say the name. Yeah. Um, <coughs> I wonder if you could comment on the system media when really, uh, really, uh, really how real release. And I find that I do it at 7 o'clock every day. And I find that my body is almost anticipating the system. And at 7 o'clock, I almost well, and, and it's a really good point to bring up, actually, because the mind really likes routines. And a lot of our routines are neurotic or toxic, even. And they like, the mind likes those routines because the mind likes things predictable. And so, you know, just like that old experiment with the bell and the food and the dogs uh, salivating, you know, it's very, what you described is very similar, where the mind is in a routine. 
And one of the things that I recommend to people is at the end of the sit, don't rush into your next activity. So schedule your time so that there's a few minutes after your sit before you actually have to do something. And you can just hang out there or stretch out your legs or even lie down. You know, if you're not going to fall asleep, just lie down for a few minutes or sit in a comfortable way for a few minutes. Just notice what the effect is of the 30-minute sit. Because it's really important. And what you're going to find is, even if it was a so-called bad sit, like the mind was all over the place, it still is quite healing to go through the motions of sitting. And you really want to taste that, like how useful, how productive, how healing it is to do it. The mind likes this practice. It doesn't seem like it does. I mean, it's, you see how even though people, you know, probably wanted to be here for all six weeks already, if the group's a little smaller tonight than it was earlier in the, in the course. Because it's, it's like hard to justify this kind of work. So it's really important to get a taste of why this is so powerful, why it's so healing, why it's so healthy to do this work. Because it will keep you coming back. Like why is the mind like this routine? Why is it looking forward to it? What is it about it? We actually want to cultivate that taste for stillness, that end of the spectrum of practice where the mind is uh, getting really quiet because it's so aware of this one thing, it's had to let go of the whole world, literally. When you have a few moments of just being with the in-breath, that means you've had a few moments of the rest of the world literally not existing for you because the mind was absorbed, right, at this end of the practice. Or at this end of the practice, the kind of sweetness the mind takes is the sweetness of not struggling with things. The mind that doesn't struggle, that doesn't cling or grasp or react or resist anything. That's an even more profound happiness than the happiness of stillness and peace over here. So to the degree the mind is touching this, even in the beginning stages, is like uh, more uh, more attractive than Haagen-Dazs ice cream, more attractive than an interesting movie or an interesting conversation. But it's, but it's subtle. But just because it's subtle doesn't mean it doesn't make an impact. Actually, generally the way it works is subtle makes a bigger impact than growth in terms of the quality of experience. But we may not know what's going on. So that's why I'm suggesting that we take the time to really see what is it like having to sit for 30 minutes? What kind of impact, what sort of residual flavor is there in the body, in the mind, in the heart? So we're not missing it. Other thoughts come to mind? Maybe time for one more. Yeah.
It wasn't fair because you chose an activity that was very engaging for the mind. So in a sense, it makes the meditation easy. Now, there's an important principle there, which is the mind pays attention when it's doing what it likes, right? So you've got two choices then in terms of, because you're not always going to be around a river, you're not always going to have a kayak, you know, it's not always going to be a nice day out, there is winter. So, but you can use the basic principle. There's two ways to have a pleasant experience. You can find something your mind is conditioned to like, or you can condition your mind to like something neutral, like being with the breath, for example. I'm not kidding. The breath, being with the breath, can be as exciting, as edifying, as insightful, as transforming, as any experience you might, you know, any dramatic or special, so-called special experience. What makes an experience powerful isn't the experience itself, it's the mind that's there. Now, if you, in hindsight, really reflected deeply about what happened, was it actually the, the feeling of the boat on the water, was it actually what you saw, or what you heard, or what you smelled, or was it that the mind was interested? the mind was radically present. You know, the mind was really awake and letting things be, not trying to make it different. Well, you can do those qualities with any experience. You don't need to be on a river on a kayak to have that kind of interest, that willingness to let things be. So that's, but when we have the opportunity, of doing something we really like or that's really pleasant or really interesting, then by all means practice like you did and experiment. Absolutely. And we'll talk more about that in week six, you know, practicing in daily life. I mean, two of our biggest teachers are experiences that are really pleasant and interesting, naturally interesting, and experiences that are very painful and difficult for us, exactly what we don't want to happen. We learn a lot from those two places and actually, Sometimes the joyful, interesting places are hard to be mindful for some people because we want it to last, you know, we're doing, we finally got to where we wanted to go and we're thinking, how can I make this last? We're on vacation and we're thinking about what should I do with my next vacation? You know, we're just not there on the beach or wherever, you know, on the mountain. We're thinking about something. I really learned this and then we'll have to end here. Right after college I did a, uh, like a, four-month backpacking trip with some buddies all out west, and we were in this amazing place in the North Palisades, uh, High Sierras, and uh, like a 10-day backpacking trip, and just this pristine place, and, and I was thinking about my girlfriend, you know, just, but hours after hours, you know, and finally it just dawned on me, like, the uh, irony of sitting here. And, you know, how, how long it took just to get and carry the heavy pack just to go. I'm just definitely not here at all. I'm not even close to being here. And it really made an impact in my mind, like, that, oh, that's interesting. That is really interesting, that to be in such an amazing place 
and not to be here. I, that, I learned something about how our mind works in that moment. Oh, we have to leave it here. So, two more weeks. And just notice, like I've been mentioning, notice the resistance about coming back. But just think, well, why not give it six weeks? And also just another plot. No matter what, do at least a little practice every day. Even if it's slight, just experiment. Like, uh, I forgot your name already, but you were talking about, you know, do something. Take up the walking practice. At least sit still once every day and do the practice, even if it's only for a few minutes. So, I'll see you all next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.